On December 18, 1996, a groundskeeper at Pleasant Valley Memorial Park Cemetery was doing his usual morning routine when he spotted something odd in a special section of the cemetery. In the newly established Babyland, an area dedicated to the burial of infants, there was found the body of a newly deceased woman. The worker immediately called the police and an investigation was launched. The small town of Annandale, Virginia was undoubtedly shocked. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. So while finding a dead body in a cemetery doesn't really seem to be all that surprising, this one was. In fact, this woman didn't have any identification on her and didn't seem to be near any specific grave. She was found beside a family mausoleum, but connections between her and the family were never found. She was lying on a clear plastic sheet on the ground. Beside her stood an 8-inch Christmas tree adorned with gold balls and red ribbons. She had a portable tape player with headphones, which were found on her ears a cassette of comedians Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner doing their 2,000-year-old man routine was in the player. There was also a backpack found near her. It contained two other cassette tapes, one being Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck, and the other was a recording of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. All right, let me pause right here, because for 1996, she seems to be way ahead of the game. Am I wrong here? She has a Jeff Foxworthy cassette. Now, I know I looked this up, okay? And the Jeff Foxworthy You Might Be a Redneck Redneck cassette came out in mm, 1990, I would say, early 90s. But I swear to God, it didn't hit its peak popularity till like, early 2000s, 2003, 2004. So when I heard that she had this cassette in her in her, in her bag, not in her cassette player, because she was listening to, of course, uh, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner in the player. But the fact that she even had these tapes says a lot about her, right? So you're found dead in a cemetery, but you only have comedy tapes on you? That's kind of interesting. Maybe she wanted to go out in a good mood. Maybe she wanted to laugh a little bit in her last moments, which I guess that is pretty understandable. Also in the bag was a pair of bifocals with translucent frames, a small pink child's Minnie Mouse fanny pack, a roll of masking tape, and two empty juice bottles. The tape was used to secure a plastic shopping bag around her neck, and the two bottles of juice were apparently filled with brandy, which she had apparently drunk, as her blood alcohol level was found to be above the legal limit of 0.14. It was also found that she had taken Valium with the brandy. Her clothes were a mix of Eddie Bauer and Classiques in Tear. They are suspected to come from a store such as Saks Fifth Avenue or Bloomingdale's, so she seemed somewhat well off. The deceased had left behind a note which read, Deceased by own hand. Prefer no autopsy. Please order cremation with the funds provided. Thank you, Jane Doe. And henceforth, we will refer to her as Jane. There were two $50 bills with the note and were labeled, one for the coroner and one for the cemetery to pay for the cremation. This letter, along with a small poem, was found with Jane, it, and they are both believed to be written by her. The poem was as follows, and has also been typed. Now I lay me down to sleep, soon to drift to the eternal deep. And though I die and shall not wake, sleep sweeter will be than this life I forsake. She was wearing two clip-on earrings and a small gold woman's wristwatch. It was from the brand Guess. She was wearing one 14 gold carat ring which was adorned with four jade stones. She was also wearing a metal bead chain which served as a medic alert. It was engraved, no code, DNR, no penicillin. 
The no penicillin is most likely because she had an allergy. The no-code DNR, however, is to alert persons of the wearer's intent to refuse medical assistance. Do not resuscitate. It is a medical order usually requiring a doctor's written statement that stays anyone from attempting CPR on the patient should their heart stop. Why she would have this is a mystery to the police. The usual circumstance behind a DNR is because the patient suffers from a chronic or terminal illness, which will most likely result in the patient needing CPR in the future. The order is made to respect the wishes of natural death by the patient. So is it possible that Jane Doe was given a grim diagnosis that led her to this spot? Was she trying to go out on her own terms? Or was she faced with an ultimatum? Though Jane Doe appeared to be local to the area, being that the spot she picked for her final exit was not one that would have been known to drifters or many visitors, there was no one in the Annandale area reported missing that matched Jane's description. Jane was estimated to be between 50 and 70 years old. She is a white female and was 5 foot tall and about 157 pounds. Her hair was auburn or red. Some even described it as being copper in color, and it was curly. Her nails were painted red. Her eye color was unknown, but she did have an 8-inch scar on her abdomen, though some have pointed out that it could have been a C-section scar. Doctors estimate it is most likely from a surgery involving her intestines or other organs based on the direction of the scar. The scar has led to much debate, especially when paired with the location in which Jane chose to take her life, the newly dedicated Babyland. The graves nearest Jane were all fairly recent. The families of those babies were contacted to try and establish a connection, but none was ever found. When a person remains unidentified, it is usually because of the condition of the body, exposure to nature, or being buried for years. Identifying these people takes so much time because you start with no clues. However, with Annandale Jane Doe, she was surrounded by clues. She was found mere hours after her death, and she appeared to be at least somewhat a successful person. How does someone like that just die without anyone knowing what her name is? Perhaps there was no one left to report Jane is missing? Jane has been ruled out as a possible match to over 600 possible unidentified persons. One of the bottles Jane used to carry her brandy that night was a peculiar brand that didn't seem to, at least at the time, be readily available in the States. It was a juice brand from Belgium that would eventually be adopted by Coca-Cola. The juice bottle was a dead end. For a long time, Jane was thought to possibly be a grown-up Marjorie West. West had been out with her mother and her sister when she suddenly went missing. She was only four at the time. It was believed that Jane could have been Marjorie. She most likely would not have even known she was a missing person. Jane even bears a striking resemblance to Marjorie's surviving sister. But alas, in 2017, through DNA comparison, it was concluded that Jane and Marjorie were not the same people. Police even thought for a short time perhaps Jane didn't die of her own hand, but instead she was murdered and the whole thing was an elaborate staging to look as though she committed suicide. But would someone really go to such lengths to stage a suicide when a simple note would probably have been sufficient enough? It's also highly unlikely that if a killer did go to such an extent that they would be careful enough to not leave so much as a single fingerprint. And some even called to question the possible link between Jane and a woman on the other side of the country who died in a similar manner. In October of 1996, in Seattle, Washington, a woman who gave the name Mary Anderson checked into a hotel. She gave false information and paid with cash. When she was found two days later, police said she had drunk cyanide mixed with Metamucil and laid down on the bed with her Bible to die. She too had left a letter behind, to whom it may concern. I have decided to end my life and no one is responsible for my death. Mary Anderson. P.S. I have no relatives. You can use my body as you choose. What really made people think these cases were linked was the physical resemblance the victims had to each other. They both had the same reddish hair and similar styles, and they were similar in appearance and age. 
Police looked into the possibility but never found a connection to link the two cases. Their DNA has even been tested against each other, since many believe that they may have been related. But the test came back negative. They were just two separate cases, which leaves authorities with another dilemma. Do we still attempt to identify Jane Doe even though she clearly wanted to go out withholding that information? Jane apparently went to great lengths to make sure no one could identify her. She was in a small graveyard in the middle of a small town no one would have known about. If she was a local, how did she disappear without anyone noticing? Did she have a job or volunteer anywhere? Someone had to know who she was. How was she able to slip through life without ever making a connection? It seems so unlikely that someone could vanish with no one noticing. And in today's world, in the age of zero privacy, and where there's no secret space anymore as well. But when we think of the fact that Jane could be a child who was kidnapped and her family may still be around wondering what happened, does Jane's family not deserve to know? Would it still be intruding on Jane's wishes if we solve Jane's identity and identify her as a missing child? We may also then identify those who committed the crime of taking her. But Jane wished to remain unknown, obviously. She left the world on her own terms and without affecting or hurting anyone around her. Does solving her identity violate her wishes? Jane may have taken her own life because she felt she had no one left to care. But now that she has so many who wish to identify her, are their intentions selfish or noble? Jane has been tested and ruled out against 600 unidentified persons. Her DNA is on file with many agencies that seek to identify missing persons. Normally, this is where we say if you have any information concerning the case, please contact the investigating agency. But this time, it feels kind of violating to do so. The decision is left up to the person with the information, I guess. If you knew Jane and you knew her wishes were to remain unidentified, we can't blame you for staying silent and respecting her. But if you think Jane might be your missing relative, perhaps it's a rabbit hole you should dive into. But as for me, I think I'm done with this case. I don't think Jane wanted to be identified, and I think she was just at a point in her life where she was lonely, maybe she had nothing to live for, maybe everyone she cared for had passed. It is odd that she killed herself in a children's graveyard. Maybe she was mourning a child. Um, the, also, the Minnie Mouse... Uh, fanny pack that she had within her book bag. What's up with that? Is that somebody's? Because I, is that a you know a lost child's, um, or something like that? Uh, I don't know. But it's just odd that that was in the backpack as well, and it did seem to be kind of tattered, worn. It may be the only tattered, worn thing on her, really. Like I said before, her clothes were nice. They were Eddie Bauer, uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, nice stuff, right? Uh, she had current comedy tapes in her cassette player you know what i'm saying uh cassette player so on a tangent i still love cassettes i don't know i still like cassettes um but yeah i i think she wanted to leave the world on her own terms i really do i think she was she was done with this and she wanted to go out in a place where she could i guess send a signal but also not be that selfish you know i think taking yourself out killing yourself in a graveyard i, I think the people that work there for the funeral services and the graveyard and whatnot. They're they're a little more used to being around death. Um, it won't be quite as traumatizing for them as if you were to you know kill yourself in your kitchen and then a family member finds you. Um, so I feel like in that aspect she was very considerate. She was very kind, and that's what makes me think that maybe she did do this to herself. She also killed herself on a tarp. Why would you do that? That's easy cleanup. They can wrap her up. They can move her away from the graveyard within minutes, and the scene could be cleared. An investigation could start. 
So just everything about it, it just doesn't seem like a murder to me. I think a murderer is going to be a lot more calloused. They're not going to care. And also, why did they leave all the jewelry and the nice things that she had? You don't want that Jeff Foxworthy tape? They don't want that Monty Python cassette? Come on. Come on. You really think they're going to... I'm just kidding. <laughs> but guys, that's my two cents on the uh, Annandale Jane Doe. I feel like she was just at the end of her life and she was ready to go. And for whatever reason, she didn't want to be identified. Maybe she was a very religious person came or came from a religious family who looks down on suicide and did not want that to be connected or bring shame to her family in any way. Just something that just occurred to me. But um, I want to give a huge thank you this week to Shelly Jackson uh, for sending in this request. Shelly, obviously you've already went down the rabbit hole and uh, I would love to hear your opinion, as well as you, uh, anyone who is listening to this podcast, please, sandupodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you have any information on uh, the Annandale Jane Doe, or if you have a future case that is similar that you would like us to cover here on Strange and Unexplained, the best place to send a request is sandupodcast at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on social media at sandupodcast. So... But before we get into all the plugs and all that garbage, I gotta check in with my boy. We gotta check in with our dude, Lorne. What does he come up with in this week's Lorne Synopsis? All right, guys, I'll see you on the other side. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lorne Synopsis. Breaking down the case like, breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lorne Synopsis. Breaking down the case like, Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. Here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. A mystery that this Christmas season will be 25 years old. The Annandale, Virginia, Jane Doe, who was a woman that was in her 50s or 60s and on December 18th uh, was found. She had taken her life the night before on December 17th, 1996, Um, And she had left behind many trinkets and pieces of her personality and her life, um, which have, has prompted people to try and identify her and also to, uh, you know, understand her, who she was as a person. It's tragic to me, not her death, but um, the, uh, you know, the latter part of her life seems to be very lonely, um, very sad. I think death was a relief for this woman. Um, next to her was an eight inch Christmas tree. She also is known on the internet as, um, Christmas tree woman. Um, as I said, she had seemingly taken her own life and she had done this by suffocation. Also, um, she had a large amount of alcohol and Valium in her system. So hopefully, you know, she just kind of, uh, passed out from lack of oxygen and, and went peacefully. Um, her autopsy confirmed that she had consumed brandy before her death and her blood alcohol level was more than double the limit. Um, She had short, curly red hair. She had a large scar uh, that went all the way up her stomach and around her navel. Many have said online that they, you know, this this is a sign that maybe she had a C-section. She also may have had some sort of an intestinal issue that uh, required surgery. Um, But the fact that she chose to take her own life in in the area of the cemetery called Babyland, where children were buried very dark and and depressing to even think about. Um, That coupled with one of the items that she left behind in a backpack, there was a small pink fanny pack, a a mini mouse fanny pack that was designed for a child and was actually, um, had apparently been damaged and broken at one point. It had been like 
safety pinned and taped back together. Uh, this may have been a keepsake from uh, a child that she had lost at one point. Um, yeah, some of the other stuff that was left behind, um, you know, makes her very likable. She left behind uh, a cassette tape and a cassette player. One of the tapes was Jeff Foxworthy's You Might Be a Redneck, one of the classic all-time comedy uh, tapes. Also a tape of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, she also left behind money and notes. She she made a point to not leave behind anything to identify herself, but uh, she, did, she didn't want to be a burden to people. She basically, I think she left herself at a cemetery partially so that it was just kind of easier um, to take care of her afterwards. She laid herself on a plastic tarp as well. She was being very, you know, selfless in a way. She didn't want uh, other people to be burdened by her death. Um, and, and so she even left behind a $50 bill and, an, and a typed note, you know, saying that, you know, she preferred no autopsy, that, uh, um, please, please just cremate my body basically is what she was requesting, even though it, it costs a lot more than that to cremate somebody. Um, so my thoughts on this were if she hasn't been identified after, you know, 20 plus years, then that tells me everything I need to know about the latter years of her life, that she was very lonely, depressed. She had potentially lost many that she loved in her life and didn't have many left. Maybe she was an immigrant and, you know, came with a few family members from another country overseas and they had perished. I, I get the vibe that maybe she had lost a child many, many years ago and she'd continue living with her partner and maybe recently her, her husband or something along those lines had, had perished and she had nothing left to live for. And then you, you add that, you couple that with the holiday season when you really want to be with loved ones. And that, I think that makes it so much more um, sad to think that she would, you know, she, she took the time to set up a little Christmas tree next to where she took her own life. And uh, yeah, I think it's just a really sad story. And I don't think she'll ever be identified. I think if she was going to be identified, she would have by now. And I don't think there's any family left to identify her. Uh, maybe if they kept DNA, they could do some sort of a genealogy retracing uh, like they do to catch criminals. And maybe they could find someone in her genealogical tree from overseas that would, you know, report in, that they had someone missing, a family member, a great aunt, something like that, you know, back in the 90s. Maybe genealogy could help solve this. That's the only thing I think that could happen because uh, as far as anyone coming forward, I don't think that's going to happen. I think she, uh, like many, um, as they get older, a lot of people around them um, unfortunately pass away. And, you know, I, I think it's so sad when an older person spends, you know, the last days of uh, of their life uh, alone and lonely. Um, so go visit your grandparents and stuff, guys, because, you know, they, they may enjoy those visits much more than you realize. I will say that she seemed like an awesome person. Like she had a great sense of humor and that she was, as I mentioned earlier, selfless. You know, you can see by the way that she took her own life. She, you know, a lot of people choose to take their own life in front of other people and traumatize them or take out other people before they take their own lives. She did it about as selflessly as you can do. You know, she laid out a tarp. She did it at a cemetery where people already see things along these lines, you know, it's not going to be shocking for them to see a body. They they work at a cemetery. Um, I think, you know, that just says a lot about her personality. And, and uh, I think it's, it, it's sad the way that, you know, 
the end of her life occurred, but hopefully she, she lived a great life and she apparently succeeded in wanting to remain anonymous, you know, and maybe that's okay. So yeah, that's my thoughts on this week's case. Quite a different one. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed my take on it. See you next week. All right, guys, there you go. There you have it. There's Lauren's opinion. We seem to be uh, kind of synced up on this case. It's really hard to come to a different conclusion when you factor in all of the all the knowledge of this case, everything that she was found with. Now, there is one other conclusion, that her and the other lady that killed themselves in Seattle around the same time were aliens placed here to perform a mission, right? And when they got done, they both terminated their their bodies at the same time and went back to their home planets. Maybe that's why she got that Jeff Foxworthy tape so early. I'm just kidding. 96, it had been out for a while. But that still baffled me when I heard You Might Be a Redneck tape by Jeff Foxworthy when in 2003, 2004, I know for a fact that shit was taking the world by storm, at least here in the Southeast. Um, That's all I heard was damn blue-collar comedy tour, Larry the Cable Guy, Bill Ingvall, Jeff Foxworthy. Y'all remember that shit. It was kind of hard to miss it, especially if you're, like I said, if you're in the Southeast United States, man, it was hard to miss that shit. Uh, But Lauren talked about how, you know, iconic Jeff Foxworthy is as well, so I'm sure he remembers that time. But uh, yeah, other than that, guys, I I really don't know what else this case could be. Um, I really think if she wanted to be identified, we would have identified her by now. Maybe she wasn't even from uh, Virginia. Maybe she traveled to this place and to this you know, this, she found this graveyard for children. Maybe she was from a, another, another local city or maybe another state. Who knows? It's just so odd that such a small town, you know, and no one knew her. That's what was so odd about it. But I hope you guys enjoyed the retelling of this story. Obviously, I don't hope that, I don't hope that you enjoyed hearing about someone's death, but the fact that you now have this knowledge, uh, you know, maybe a little conversation piece to have later today with someone, I hope you enjoyed that aspect of it, okay? Like some people who have went and enjoyed the show so much, they left reviews, right? Like, uh, let's see, Green Lantern, spelled G-R-E-A-N, Green Lantern, I like that. It says, okay, you asked for real criticism, which I did. I can handle it. It says, I started binging your podcast a few weeks ago. I'm on episode 37. It's a very good podcast, and while Ben's listening through the early episodes, you could really hear how it took shape. This podcast was surprisingly and refreshingly good from the start. What I do like a lot is Lauren's synopsis. It's also partly what I don't like. Actually, just the song. It's good, just repetitive, and a little long. Cut it down to 17 to 20 seconds, and it would be perfect. But Lauren almost always fills in the gaps that Michael leaves, which aren't many, thank you. I'm a seasoned podcast listener, which probably with probably over a thousand hours logged. So when I say it's good, that comes with a ton of other podcasts and episodes to compare. Thank you for all the entertainment and great work. Thank you so much. And uh, if you didn't notice, I actually did shorten the Lauren Synopsis song in this episode. I think that's a great idea. I think people have got it by now. Also, if you like a longer version or you like to jam to it, there is a version available on Spotify. Search True Crime Guys Hit Artist. Don't uh, go. Don't click on the podcast page. Click True Crime Guys and then click the Artist tab, and you will see our True Crime Guys Killer Mixtape pop up. And I think track number ten is Lauren Synopsis, and it's actually an extended version of Lauren Synopsis. Uh, so if you really like to jam to it, you can have that. Uh, but as far as the episode goes, I think this was a great recommendation. This is just something that I was overlooking because you know 
there was no squeaky wheel about it. Most people that wrote in about it talked about how much they like to dance to it and stuff, so I never thought about shortening the the music, but listening back, I think that actually is a great suggestion. So I hope you guys liked it in this episode. I think it'll probably be more like that length going forward. Um, okay, so I got another five-star review here from Sidit. Now, they left a five-star review, but they're also critiquing uh, the new music as far as the intros at the beginning. Uh, it says, please stop this. It's about two episodes in, and the music isn't of high quality. I understand, trying to help your friends. Um, is this a sign of the podcast going into decline, maybe? Okay, let me break this down. First off, new music is cringe. Um, new things are always hard to swallow, okay? Number one, when I, I've been doing True Crime Guys podcast. If you're not familiar with True Crime Guys podcast, I have been the co-host of that podcast with my buddy Lauren, who does the synopsis for almost five years now. And I do a musical intro for every single episode. Now, here's what I found out. When I first started doing it, I got the ex- this exact same reviews. Oh, it's cringy. It's weird. I, I don't like it. it. It doesn't set the tone. It's to this. It's to that. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Here's number one point. You can fast forward through it. Number two, it is something that a lot of people don't do in podcast. Okay, and that is the exact reason why I like to do it. Um. And, and it takes, sometimes it takes some getting used to. And is every song going to be a banger? No, absolutely not. And is every episode going to have a song? No, probably not. Like this episode didn't, for instance. Had nothing to do with this review. We just didn't have anything that we thought added to the show this week. So we didn't. Now, um, it says, is trying to help your friends worth losing listeners? Um, in a way, yeah. Yeah, it kind of is. Because if I can help him get his confidence up to help establish this, uh, to get better at it, you can't be good at things without doing them. You'll never get good at things without doing them. And while I appreciate, I appreciate this criticism, I really do, and I appreciate that you support the show. I'm not trying to dish you in any way, shape, or form, okay? But it is, it is worth losing a few listeners if they, can't, if they can't handle the two minutes of music. You can, always, you can always skip through it, and it's worth it to him to maybe establish something, to get better at his craft, to get this feedback. Even this feedback is good for him. I will show this to him, and hopefully it won't discourage him, but instead he will take it to heart like I did when I was getting a lot of these comments early on, and you'll start to improve your music little by little. Now, is this a sign of the podcast going into decline? I feel like you just put this at the end to make me, to cause me to make a rash decision to just cut the music from the show, um, which probably not going to happen. I love music, okay? This podcast, if anything, is getting better every single week. You know why? Because I'm making sure of it. My wife is becoming better at writing. I am becoming better at delivering the information, and the music will get better, inevitably. We're, this is still new. This podcast is just barely over a year old, and we're still getting our, our feet up underneath us, and we're not planning on slowing down anytime soon. Regardless of who's a part of this organization, who ain't, if I got to do the whole damn thing by myself, I am ready. All right? So, this podcast ain't declining. It ain't slowing down. If you have to listen to something else, I I totally understand. You know, if the music is too much, if it's too cringe, I understand But honestly, the skip button is right there. You can get right to the story. But thank you. Thank you very much for this criticism. Like I said, without this type of criticism, without this type of outside look, a lot of times things won't get better. So thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, What was your name? Sit it. Thank you so much for that. 
So those are two new reviews. I'm sorry I got a little lengthy with that, guys. I just wanted to break that down. I wanted to explain that I do appreciate those reviews. I'm not trying to trying to be negative towards Siddit in any way. Like I said, I repeat, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the honesty. All right. So guys, that's a great way to help the show. Leave a review. Let me know how things are going. Let me know how things are hitting uh, You know, with you. Obviously, I may take some of the suggestions. I may throw some of them out. Whatever. Either way, I still would like to hear the, the criticism, the positive criticism, the good things, the bad things, all that stuff. Okay? Now, another way, if you just love the show and you think everything's great about the show, then that's fantastic too. And if you do, you should check out patreon.com slash podcast because there are tons of other files on there for you to enjoy right now. We just released episode 47 um, of Strange Shorts this week and my buddy Andy has been joining me for the later episodes of Strange Shorts. And I think uh, we've been friends for a long time, first off, since we've been teenagers. So we, we, ha- we have great chemistry. Uh, I think he's very funny. And he's also he also thrives on staying current in the true crime world. So a lot of the Strange Shorts are more updated stories this, this past week. Of course, like everyone else, we talked about Gabby Petito. Um, but you can find all kinds of up-to-date uh, new shit going on in the true crime world. A lot of it is stranger, and we always try to end on a light case where we can, you know, we can have you laughing, we can kind of uh, poke fun at a at a strange case or something strange going on in the world. So that's strange shorts. And guys, like I said, there's 47 episodes to binge on Patreon right now, as well as five episodes of Higher Thoughts. There's six or seven episodes of the Palate Cleanser podcast. Um, and there's just, there's just more and more to come on Patreon, as well as you get early releases of this show on Thursdays instead of Mondays. I usually release midday Thursday um, for patrons, and then that new episode will then hit the free platform on the following Monday with Strange Shorts. So even if you are a patron and you get your Strange and Unexplained on Thursday, you'll still get your Strange Shorts every single Monday. So your Monday won't be left without me. I'll still join you. It's okay. We can still ride to work together. We can still have lunch. Whatever you want to do. I'll just be talking about something else. No big deal, right? So again, guys, that's patreon.com slash podcast, And there's links to everything that I've plugged right below the description of this very episode, as well as sources for this case. All right? So, guys, I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for leaving the reviews. I love all of you that leave reviews, that are patrons, that uh, reach out on social media, at SNU Podcast. Go give us a follow on Instagram. Uh, I try to keep everyone updated on Instagram, number one Instagram, and Instagram stories, both for Sandu and True Crime Guys, is a great way to keep up with what's going on in True Crime Guys productions. All right? All right, guys, I'm done rambling. Go check out our merch. Go check out all the things. All the links are right below. Check out True Crime Guys link tree. It says everything True Crime Guys right below. Check that out, guys. All right? All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm out of here. You guys know there's only one thing left to do, and that is be strange. Okay? Be strange. Just don't be strangers. I'll see y'all next week. See ya. See ya.